at the speed of light, time stops. Consider if you could uh, jump on the reflected light or a beam of light that is reflected off a clock just as it strikes 12. Imagine Big Ben and bong, just as it hits 12 noon, you could saddle up that reflected light beam and ride it on the space at the speed of light. It's 186,000 miles per second. Every time you look down, that light's going to say 12 o'clock. So at the speed of light, time stands still. It makes perfect sense. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hi, everyone. I'm Michael Benner, and this is Wisdom of the Soul, presented by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. We're here live, the Zoom class, every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. California time, Pacific time. And if you're not able to be with us in the flesh, then uh, you can watch the full video on YouTube, search Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. An edited version without the meditation and the Q&A is available as an audio podcast on all players. Search Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Also, my website is michaelbenner.com. There's lots of cool information there. My podcast streams there. There's a reading list and other resources, an outline of uh, the Saturday Salon is there. And more importantly, the private work. The Saturday Salon's filled up. And uh, boy, we've had three sessions and that's going really well. If you're interested in that, I do have a waiting list for a second salon. So email me about that at awmysteryschool at gmail.com or agelesswisdom, awmysteryschool at gmail.com and say you're interested in that. And get the newsletter. That's the easiest way to stay up to speed. You get the link to this class and show notes and and find out about the private work and you know the, the one-on-one counseling that I do. Uh, the intake is free and you're under no obligation to continue, so there's no risk in checking it out. I have wonderful relationships with some people that I've met through just a few private sessions. Sometimes it just takes a few. So that's michaelbenner.com. That's my primary website. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for stopping by. Today we're going to talk about the illusion of time and the relationship of time and space, and the idea that there is something outside of time and space. Now, this is a huge field, and so I have a lot to say about it. I'm going to begin, before the opening meditation, with 
a little bit of hard science, and then we'll move on to the more esoteric concepts of time and why our belief systems around time hinder us. That's basically why I'm doing the class today, is that we're constrained by Maya, by the illusion of separation in space, the idea that there's somebody here that's not you, of the other, of opposition and conflict, when in fact there's only one thing at work. But there's also separation in time. We break time into events, and we think in terms of cause and effect. And I'm going to talk about that, but first I want to explain a little bit about the space-time continuum. Just touch on it briefly, and then uh, we'll go into our opening meditation. What I'm about to tell you, you may not understand, but you will be able to remember. Sometimes we believe we need to understand something in order to remember it, and, and that's not true. What I'm about to tell you, you can remember easily without understanding it. And by working in that fashion, remembering it, even if you don't understand it, then you can work on it later and do a little Google search or close your eyes and relax and meditate on the concept. As, uh, as Einstein did when he figured this out. And it really starts with the whole idea of what gravity is and how gravity works. Uh, space is a thing in the physical universe, obviously, that is akin to a fabric. It uh, is not just empty space. It is a, a grid um, I wonder how many of us have seen the second Star Trek television series with Picard, you know, make it so. Not the Kirk and Spock, that was number one, but the one with Picard and uh, Deanna Troy. And uh, she, had the, uh, she had the killer job. That's the job I always wanted. I wanted to be the counselor to the CEO. They had this really cool thing uh, called the holodeck, which you could program to create an artificial holographic reality. And you could, you could program it to look like anything, any place, and any situation, and then you could go inside the holodeck and party. Well, every time they ended the program, all you would see is a grid. There was just a grid in three dimensions. And that's very much the way space exists. So that what gravity is about is the way a mass, let's think of a planet, but it even works with molecules and electrons on that level. Gravity is a force at all, all levels. And um, if you think of, well, think of four people or two people at least, maybe four people, holding a bed sheet tight, and you roll a heavy ball, like a, a bowling ball, out into the middle of that bed sheet, you can imagine the way that ball would cause that bed sheet to, to sink. And the fabric of space, the fabric of the bed sheet, is warped by the presence of that mass. 
in this case the bowling ball. Well, if I take a smaller ball, like a baseball or even a marble, and roll it out onto that fabric, where's it going to go? Well, it's going to go downhill, so to speak. It's the gravitational attraction is really a function. Even if you spin it around and it goes around and around and around, uh, that orbit is maintained by a balance of forces, a centrifugal force causing it to go out and the gravity pulling it toward the center. Well, that's how gravity works. That's how the moon spins around the Earth and the moon and the Earth and the other planets in our solar system rotate around the sun. It's a balance between centrifugal force and gravitational attraction. Well, we have three dimensions of space, height, width, and depth. The fourth dimension is time. And I'd just like to touch on this because I think it's fascinating. And again, you can remember this even if you don't understand it and then cogitate on it later. The way to best understand the relationship of time to space and the reason that you hear about a time-space continuum is that we're moving through both. In terms of our understanding of being physical bodies, you know, consciousness, spirit in a physical body, in a physical universe, there is time and there is space. So imagine a car sitting in the driveway. That car is motionless. It is not moving through space. But it is moving through time, right? Even if it's turned off, the engine is not running, not idling, it's not moving, it's not going anyplace. It's not moving in space, but it is moving through time. Then you start up the car, and you start to drive down the road. The faster you go through space, the slower time goes. Time, this is called time dilation. And this is not a theory. This is demonstrable, it is provable. There are those uh, NASA astronauts that are twins. Um, one is a senator from Arizona. Uh, Kelly's, I think, is their names. And um, one went into space and, and was in the International Space Station for a long time, six or nine months, I think. Well, when he came back to Earth, he was a little bit younger than he would have been if he had not left. And so, he's a little bit younger than the twin that stayed on Earth as a result of going through space so rapidly at tens of thousands of miles an hour. But the phenomena doesn't really mean much until you get really, really fast. So, to jump ahead, at the speed of light, time stops. Now, I said you probably wouldn't understand that. That's hard to get your head around. But a way of thinking about it, and to show you the relative nature of not only space, but time. Consider if you could uh, jump on the reflected light, or a beam of light that is reflected off a clock, just as it strikes 12. Imagine Big Ben, 
and bong, just as it hits 12 noon, you could saddle up that reflected light beam and ride it on the space at the speed of light. It's 186,000 miles per second. Every time you look down, that light's going to say 12 o'clock. So at the speed of light, time stands still. It makes perfect sense. So the faster you go through space, the slower time goes. I mention this because it's important that we begin to think of time as relative, as a variable, and that the faster you go through space, the slower time goes. And the slower you move into space, <laughs> the faster time goes. But it's directly proportional in terms of consciousness. If you want time to speed up, get busy. Feed your brain lots of stimulus and lots of information. Time flies, right? Tempest fugit. If you want to slow time down, do nothing. That's what boredom is, right? You're not doing anything, and time goes so slow. You know the saying, a watched pot never boils? Right? Put some water on the boil and get busy doing other things and it'll be boiling before you know it. Put water on the boil and sit in a chair and watch it and wait for it to boil. It'll take forever. Time is so relative. I remember uh, years and years ago when we got a microwave, the first time I ever owned a microwave, it was like, what? Baked potato in six minutes? Instead of an hour in the oven, six minutes, I can bake a potato, and I was gobsmacked. I thought, this is absolutely amazing. But I didn't have that microwave for more than a couple of months before I'm standing there impatiently tapping my foot going, come on, come on, what's taking so <laughs> what's taking so long, right? So we say things like, uh, I don't have enough time. I'm running out of time. I don't have time to meditate. I'm too busy. And we define time as the distance between events. I'd like to disabuse you of that belief today. And let's take another look at time. Perhaps time is not a series of events. And perhaps time is not separated or separatable, separatable. <laughs> I mean, obviously we do this, but maybe it's not accurate any more than to separate space. Perhaps separation in both senses, time and space, is an illusion that constrains us. And if we better understand, Maya, that time and space are illusions, and there is no separation, you can set yourself free. All right? That's the whole point of having the discussion, to set yourself free, to not be constrained by these illusions that there's something here or someone here that is not part of one whole thing. Because that's the source of all of our fear. Separation, things unknown, uncertainty, that's all fear. And where does negativity come from? Fear. Where does evil come from? Fear. Where does ignorance come from? 
fear, which promotes more ignorance and more fear and more ignorance and more fear. They feed each other a vicious cycle. Though looking at time and space is a way of getting out of that. Let's do a little meditation and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this idea and explore it a little more deeply. So close your eyes and relax. Get comfortable in your furniture. Hold as you peek and as you exhale, open your eyes now, wide awake. Back in the room, eyes open now, wide awake, rested, refreshed, feeling better than before. Feeling even better than before, wide awake, alert, and better than before. Good, thank you. Thank you very much. Doesn't time fly? <laughs> we had time for that. We think of time the way we think of a number line with zero in the middle and the negative numbers trailing off to the left and the positive numbers trailing off to the right. And again, now is the zero. As if the past moves into the present and creates the future. And that we live in a cause-effect universe. We're, we're often told we live in a cause-effect universe. And so we break time down into events. In fact, we can define time as the distance between events. Well, my birthday last year and my birthday this year, well, that's exactly one year apart. That's time. And what is that a correlation to? Oh, well, that's the rotation of the Earth around the sun. Well, that's sort of arbitrary, given that the Earth and the sun and the other planets in the solar system are revolving around the galaxy. But that's a big cycle. We don't think in terms of the... You know, I don't even know. I, I, I have a sense that it's several hundred thousand years, but it may, be a, it may be much more than that for the galaxy to rotate one, one rotation. Somewhere in my mind, I'm thinking it's a few hundred thousand years, but I'm not sure about that. It's just like space. You know, you leave the Earth and you... You get in a rocket ship and jet out into space. At what point do you move into outer space? Well, halfway to the moon, you turn around and look back at the Earth floating there like a blue marble against a black backdrop, and you realize, oh, Earth is outer space. But we think of outer space as somewhere else. So silly. And when you're in outer space, which way is up? And you suddenly realize there is no down, no left or right. There's not even a forward or a back. There's no right side up or upside down in space. These are relative notions that we've defined, but then are victims of. We become constrained by these belief systems. So I'd like to argue that our tendency to break time up into a series of events is completely arbitrary. 
and not real. So let's think of an example, um, World War II. When did World War II begin? Well, you might say the bombing of Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941. Is that really when it began? Was there no world war? Oh, yeah, there was before that, but we were not involved because there were a lot of American capitalists and industrialists that thought Hitler had a pretty good thing going. He was a good capitalist. He hated the commies. Fascism was pretty popular in America. And so Roosevelt was pressured to stay out of that war. And you can see the interest in fascism rising again in the United States. So when did World War II begin? Oh, well, when Hitler invaded Poland. No, when, when Hitler first was elected, he was elected, you know. No, it began when Hitler was born. It began when fascism was born. I mean, it's sort of arbitrary, right? When did World War II? When did it end? Oh, well, they signed some sort of agreement that uh, at Malta, I think, Stalin and Churchill and Roosevelt signed some accord, and that was the end of the war. Really? Was that the end of the war for the people who lived in Hiroshima or Nagasaki? So even our events are arbitrary in terms of a beginning and an end. And I've got to tell you, in quantum physics and in metaphysics, the whole idea of an event having a beginning and an end is ridiculous. Take life itself. Well, do you believe in reincarnation? Or you have the Abrahamic belief of Christians and Muslims and most Jews, there's still this idea of eternity. You're either going to live in heaven forever, you're going to burn in hell forever, or you're going to be reincarnated forever. And yet we argue about when life begins. Well, if life has no ending, how could it have a beginning? That's just purely illogical. It doesn't stand the test of Simple logic. If something has no end, it could not have a beginning. Or if it has no beginning, it obviously has no end, right? Say it that way. So dividing time, the whole idea of time existing as a series of events, as if your past determines the present. You're here now because of your past. Really? Are you sure about that? And your future is determined by the past and the present? Are you sure? As if the past and present drives the future? As if the causes of the present and the past create the effect of the future? It's predetermined? Or only to some extent? Maybe these events are not separated any more than physical objects or human beings are separated. Perhaps the physical universe of time and space is like the holodeck. It's a hologram. It's an illusion. It's a playground where awareness forgets who it is so as to slowly discover who and what we really are. 
You know, enlightenment, the whole idea of enlightenment, and a lot of teachers don't even like the term enlightenment because, again, it suggests a, uh, a level of attainment or a point at which you arrive at some place. And boing, 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 oh, I get it. I'm enlightened. <laughs> you know, anybody who says they're enlightened couldn't possibly be enlightened. It's the ego that takes credit for being enlightened. So, those who say don't know, and those who know don't say. Enlightenment, if there is an ideal that we approach, and we look at enlightenment as a process, not a destination, revolves around the whole idea of realizing that all separation is a lie, that all separation in space is an illusion. There is no other. There is one verse, a universe, a mono-verse. There's one thing. No beginning, no end. This idea of breaking our life into events constrains us. We think, well, I can't do that. Why? Because I've never been able to do that. It doesn't fit into my story. Poor, poor, pitiful me. You don't know what kind of horrible childhood I had and how I'm constrained by my history, limited by my belief system. Well, if you know you're limited by your belief systems and the stories that you tell about yourself, then stop telling that story and give up the idea that the present was created by the past. What if that's not true? Could you be free enough? that now is not a function of anything at all that's come before. You understand what I'm saying? So enlightenment, if it's anything, it's realizing this process. Enlightenment is a process, not a goal. If it's anything, it's realizing the unity beyond the veil. That separation in space is an illusion and separation in time is also an illusion. And it can be a very fun illusion. And uh, often not so much. Getting older could be very frightening. Because again, we begin to fear the future because we don't know who we are in the present. Does it make sense if you knew who you are now that there'd be less concern about the past in the future? Do you ever say to yourself as you age, well, I don't feel any older. Well, it's because you're not. Awareness doesn't age. You're not getting old. Your body is aging. Look at me. I didn't always have white hair. <laughs> you know, my physical body is aging, but my consciousness is not aging. You could say, well, the consciousness is growing. My awareness is expanding. I'll give you that. But isn't everything? You understand the universe is expanding. Even the physical universe is expanding. And by all accounts, it shouldn't be. It ought to be slowing down after the Big Bang, 
13.3 billion years ago. Don't you think that after that explosion, things would begin to slow down a little bit? In fact, the universe, not only is it not slowing down, it's accelerating. How could that be? Ask the most brilliant, eminent scientists. They scratch their head, stroke their beards, and go, I don't know. Well, how do you account for the fact that the universe is, the word they use is inflation, not expanding, because it's sort of like a balloon inflates. In other words, every object in the universe is growing apart from every other. There are no two objects coming closer together in the physical universe. Everything is moving away from everything. Not just the edges expanding. Everything. So they call it inflation. Where is that energy coming from? I don't know. Yeah, but you're an eminent physicist. Yeah, so we're still working on that. Well, do you have a working theory? Oh, yeah, sure, we got a theory. We call it dark energy. What is dark energy? I don't know. Well, if you have dark energy, do you have dark matter? Oh, yeah, we got that too. What is that? We don't know. Wait a minute. You're postulating the in inflation, the expansion, not just expanding, but accelerating expansion or inflation of the universe faster and faster and faster based on the existence of energy and matter that is invisible. You can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't touch it, taste it, feel it. It's invisible. The only reason you know it's there is that it's part of the gravitational field. And it's what? 92% of the universe? You mean only what we see in the universe with our eyes, with our telescopes? It's only 8%? The visible universe is only 8% of the mass? Yep. And then I want to touch on this before we go to the Q&A. In quantum physics, there is a, well, there are many remarkable, <laughs> there are many remarkable aspects of quantum physics. A chief among them, however, is entanglement. And this is the relationship of particles at a distance. Particles, they could be electrons, subatomic particles. They could be photons, little light packets that have a relationship, let's say uh, two electrons are in the same star when it explodes, and these electrons go blasting out into space, and a million years later, they're uh, half a million light years apart. When they are entangled, what that means is they have a relationship with each other that continues despite the distance in space, such that when one particle is acted upon by an external force, the other particle at a distance responds, no matter how great that distance, and it responds immediately, faster than the speed of light infinitely faster than the speed of light, immediately responds. And that's called entanglement. How could that be? 
The only way it can be is if the relationship, the entanglement of those particles at a distance, exists outside of time and space. So there is an outside of time and space. And I'd have you consider that it's timeless. It's an eternal now. And in terms of our identity, it is consciousness. It is awareness. Without awareness, nothing exists. Right? If you're unaware of it, it didn't happen. You could argue, oh, it happened, but I wasn't aware of it. Well, as far as you go, you know, which you are you talking about? It did happen. But were you aware of it? You see, quantum physics says the moon only appears to be solid when you look at it. When you turn away, relatively, it's not solid. It's just energy. The Buddha says the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon. What you, you don't see the moon. You see light reflected off the moon. And you say, oh, that's the moon. No, that's light reflected off the moon. If there's a lunar eclipse, you don't see them. Well, you see it a little bit, but you know what I mean. If there's no light reflecting off it, you don't see it. Go into a dark room, you don't see anything until the light comes on. We assemble reality in our head. It's all between the ears and behind the forehead. All of your happiness, all of your sadness is compiled in your mind. How free can we be when we give up the, not just the idea of separation in space in the sense that there's another here that's out to get us. <laughs> And then give up the idea of separate events. Of course you have enough time. You have eternity. There's always enough time. Stop saying that. It's a matter of priorities. You think you can get away with saying, well, I don't have time to meditate. Or I don't have time to do my hobbies. Or I don't have time to spend with my spouse. You're lying. You're lying to yourself as well as to others. It's a matter of priorities. You're just saying it's not a priority for me. I have higher priorities. If I have no time to play my guitar, if I have no time to pursue my photography, if I have no time to organize my, my, uh, my JPEGs on my computer and label them properly, which is the case, <laughs> it's just that I have more important things to do. It's, it, it's, it's, I shouldn't say I don't have enough time. I should say it's it's not a high enough priority for me. I have other things that I'd much rather be doing. This class, my Saturday salon, my uh, private clients, you know, and quality time with my wife. That's my highest priority.